Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Dynek, and this week we're going to look at God's providence even in the wilderness and what that might mean for us. Another good glimpse at the nature of God as he acts and interacts with us and toward us. So let's get started. So I did want to address one thing really quickly before we get started, because at the end of last week's episode, I said about we might be looking at God's providence in the wilderness, which we're obviously doing, or we might talk about obeying Hitler. And the reason for that was it was something that actually ended up being edited out of the final episode. But there always comes the point where when you start talking about submitting yourself to the ruling authorities, someone will ask, well, what if the authority is Hitler? And obviously the answer is, you know, no, you don't just obey him. But the attitude around why we do that, where in scripture that comes from, I think is important to take a closer look at and take some time to make sure we answer it appropriately. Because if we just say, yes, you're allowed to oppose him, then all of a sudden that scripture goes entirely out the window and we end up not obeying any authority unless we agree with them. And that's, I do not think that is the intent of that scripture. So it's something that I don't think I'm quite ready to dive into yet. There's some questions still around it that I haven't answered for myself in any sort of like confident way. So we're going to kind of set that aside for now and take a little bit of a break from politics and things of that nature and law and all those sorts of things and take a couple weeks here to once again turn our eyes towards God more predominantly and especially how he acts toward us and some some attitudes that we might still have about him and the nature of who he is that I think we should re-examine. So today we're looking at God's providence in the wilderness and I want to look at it in a very specific way. And so our guiding verse for today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 4 and 5. This is Moses addressing the Israelites before they go into the promised land. He says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, During the forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. And this verse comes to me as late last year, I kind of made the decision, my wife and I, through prayer and through scripture, to pursue our creative careers a little more, a lot more boldly, uh, with a lot more intention behind it. And so, you know, even though it was kind of a, a scary thing, and, you know, it's always a question of like, are we sure that God is leading us here? And in one of those times of prayer and questioning, like, what if we're hearing wrong? Like, what if this is not the step we're supposed to take? This verse kind of came to me in this idea of God came to me as one of the responses to that idea of like, well, what if we aren't hearing properly? And what if we do the wrong thing or pursue the wrong path? You know, what might happen? And so in order to kind of come at this, let's take a couple verses here. It's going to take us a little bit of time to read through, but I want to look at why the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, just to remind us. For most of us, uh, we might know why that is, but I want to read through these verses really quickly, just again to really reacquaint ourselves with this story um, in order to to approach this guiding verse again. The story comes from Numbers chapter 14, and we're going to be reading kind of through a couple of verses, starting in verse 6. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. 
If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them. Skipping ahead to verse 19. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Verse 23, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Then ahead to verse 33 says, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. And so here kind of is the crux. We're going to make this point. We've got a couple of things to kind of look at. So when we read this story, this was, they had made it to the promised land. They sent scouts out to sort of look over the land and see if it was as good as they were being told. And sure enough, it was. It was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. And of the 12 spies or scouts who went out, only two of them came back with a good report. The other 10 said, no, it's dangerous. There are large people there that we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And we felt like grasshoppers compared to them. We're going to die here. We should not go in. And as we began in these couple of verses, Joshua and Caleb, who contradicted them again, said, no, look, God is here with us. The community, the assembly didn't want to hear about it. They wanted to stone them to kill them, to cancel out the the good news of what they were hearing. And remember that all of the people that were here would have seen the miracles that God had done in Egypt, the mighty hand with which he overthrew the Egyptians and brought the Israelites out. They would have seen the Red Sea parting and walking through it. They would have spent some time being fed by God directly, finding water in the desert. All these things happen to this people. And still when they get here, they're like, nope, we can't trust God. He just brought us out here to die. We're not going to go into the land he promised us, the land he promised our forefathers. Remember, he promised it to Abraham way back when he first set foot there. They said, nope, we don't believe any of that. No matter what we've seen, what we've heard, God actually only brought us here to die. We're not going to go in. And so God said, fine, you're not going to go in. I'm not going to kill you because Moses prayed that I wouldn't do that. I won't kill you outright, but I'm going to lead you around this desert for 40 years. And he even says in verse 34, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. So God basically saying he was opposed to them. And if we keep reading on, we'll find that they repented and tried to go into the promised land anyway and were severely routed by the armies that were in place there because God said, no, it was too late. You already denied your entrance into the promised land. You're not going to get it now. And so God was opposed to them going into the promised land. So even though he had brought them into this place, even though they rejected him and he said, okay, because of your rejection, you're going to wander around lost. I will be opposed to you. You're going to suffer here for 40 years. It was still during that 40 years 
the Lord says, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. And they had food the entire time. The manna in the wilderness continued all 40 years to nurture and sustain them. And so here we have an example of a people who flat out rejected God, rejected the promised land he had, rejected the promise that he gave them, and he still took care of them. Why do we think if we are making the best decision we feel like we can, if we spend time in scripture and in prayer and seeking the will of the Lord, we're worried that if we happen to be mistaken in what we thought or heard, then suddenly God's going to rip the rug out from under us. We will be without food, without clothes, without a home. That does not sound like the God, even of the Old Testament, which I have said a lot of people seem to think he's this wrathful, ready to just smite everyone kind of God. And yet he supplied a people who had rejected him for 40 years with food and clothing and sandals and their children until they could have one more chance or have another chance to go into the promised land at the end of that 40 years. He is not just looking for the first opportunity to destroy our lives and to crush us. Now, there are some things we should do still. Some things we can do to hopefully have a little more confidence in the choices we're making. And so let's go to the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is teaching his disciples and says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, we are going to do an entire topic on fruitfulness, twice actually, looking at it kind of from different angles. But pay attention here to the idea that it is to God's glory that we are fruitful, that we succeed in the work he's prepared for us to do. But remember the caveat, we must remain in him and his words must remain in us. This is why daily scripture reading and prayer is so important. No decision we make should be a one-time thing. We don't want to continue to second-guess ourselves for the rest of eternity because that is equally worthless. But once we have decided, yes, this is where I believe God is leading me, and we take steps in that direction, it's not done. We are still need to remain in him, need to remain in the word, remain in scripture and in prayer, and still listen to his voice. In case either we did hear wrong and he needs to get our attention and bring us back to where we should be, or because we heard right, but there's more to it than that, and he has more instruction for us once we start down the path that we believe he has put us on. Remember Romans chapter 14, verse 5, that we must each be fully convinced in our own minds. If there is any doubt about the choice you have made or the path you have chosen, weed it out. Get the doubts out, either strengthening yourself in the choice you have made or realizing that no you did not hear right and there's another path that god would have you on no matter what seek god and remember the ancient hebrews we just talked about they had seen all of his miracles his plagues in egypt his dividing of the red sea his guidance to the promised land and flat out rejected him and wished to return to egypt 
wanting to stone to death those who encouraged them to remember God, and God still provided their basic needs even during their punishment. Yes, if you spend your last $4,000 on a mountain bike, you might be me for one person, and you'd be silly. It's not impossible still to make yourself homeless because of foolishness, or have your water or electricity cut off by consistently refusing to pay the bills, waiting for some stranger to be called by God to pay it for you. But if you earnestly seek God and make your decisions fully convinced that he has called you to them, I believe his providence will show up. Next week, we're looking at the question, who do you follow? And is it possible for the best things for Christianity to also be the worst things? It's an interesting topic to get into, and we're going to get into it next week. Tune in. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh.